O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is the prayer of Christmas, isn't it? That God, wrapped in humanity, would come, that he would become one of us, and, and not just one of us, but that Emmanuel would be God with us, God who is the creator, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is with us. And because he is with us, he is for us. God is for you. God is for me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with Christmas cheer in your heart, tell him, God is for you. That is a staggering reality. And that is the prayer of Christmas. That is why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That, that Jesus left his rightful place in heaven and became one of us. That he stepped into our realm. He left heaven. By the way, if you've ever traded or bought or sold real estate, you know the law of real estate, right? Location, location, location. Jesus had a good gig in heaven, but he became one of us. He, he came to this earth. And so this prayer of Christmas is the prayer that we could connect with God, that, that he would choose to enter into our mess, that he would choose to enter into our lives. That's the prayer of Christmas, but it's fascinating to me that there was an exact point in time. There was an actual, factual moment in history where the prayer of Christmas became the reality of Christmas, where God in human form was in fact born into this world. Now, I know in a room like this, we've got a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of different ideas about God, about Jesus, about who he is. But I will say that we would all, I think, have to agree that Jesus Christ was in fact born. He actually lived on this earth. You may not believe yet that he was the son of God, and that's okay. We're thrilled that you're here if you're not there. But he did live. We know not only from biblical sources, but extra biblical historical sources that Jesus did walk on this earth. He, he was one of us. He, he had a family. He, he lived. He taught. He spoke. He healed. He loved. He grieved. He celebrated. He went to parties. The first miracle Jesus ever performed was at a wedding celebrating two people becoming husband and wife. This actually happened. But this moment where the prayer of Christmas becomes the reality of Christmas, it's recorded for us in, among other places, Luke chapter two. If you've got your Bibles with you, or maybe you look up your Bible on your phone, that's cool. Look up Luke chapter two. We're gonna start in verse eight. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says the following. Now, we're going to put the verse on the screen, but there are going to be some highlighted words that I want you to read out loud with me, okay? So everybody kind of sit up straight, take a deep breath, and let's get ready to participate together, all right? 
Here's what the Bible says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now I want you to just go with me for a moment in your mind's eye. Kind of get your imagination caps on for a second. I want you to think about if you were standing or sitting in those fields outside of Bethlehem on that night, you're putting yourself in the sandals of those shepherds. And all of a sudden, an angel of God appears to you. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord was all around them, and, and the angel said, do not be afraid. It's fascinating to me. Every single time the birth of Christ was announced or prophesied, the angel always said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. I bring good news. This is, this is a relief. This is where the prayer of Christmas becomes the reality of Christmas. This is, this is a big, big deal. Turn to your neighbor and tell him now like you really mean it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But you know, for the prayer of Christmas to become the reality of Christmas required a change. And I don't know about you, but I, I, there are times when change is okay, but there are some other times when I'm not as big a fan of change. How many in the room like change? Let me just see a show of hands if you are weird. No, I'm just kidding. If you're a person who likes change, go ahead and raise your hand. There are times when I really do. Let me see a show of hands from those who do not like change. Let me see it. And, and I get it. I get it. Change can be hard. We get used to certain things. I think, let me, let me, I saw this, I saw a speaker do this in a completely different context, but let me ask you to do this. Everybody sit up straight and just kind of cross your arms. Just cross your arms for a second. Cross your arms like you're talking to somebody who makes you uncomfortable, okay? You just cross your arms. Now, I want you to kind of look down and think, are you left over right or right over left? You just crossed your arms without even thinking about it, but how do you do that? Now, now, I'm gonna ask everybody to cross your arms the other way. Ooh, that's weird, isn't it? For some of you, this is a motor skills test that you just failed. You had to like really go, okay. I got it. Okay, now hold it there for a Now I want you to keep it there. Keep holding it there. That is uncomfortable, isn't it? Some of you right now are mad at the preacher. 
But I think that's a good way to understand change is hard. There's certain things we do naturally, certain things we do habitually, certain things that we don't even think about. They're just reflexes, like, like crossing our arms. Other things. Go ahead and keep, keep it in that uncomfortable position. Don't, don't let him go. We were still talking. In order for the prayer of Christmas to become the reality of Christmas requires the work of Christmas. You see, it's, it's one thing for us to, to hear about the reality of Christmas, to read about the shepherds and think about what it was like for them, but it's entirely another for the reality of Christmas to become real to me, for it to become real to you, and not just, a, not just a historical event, not just something that we think about once a year. You see, the reality of Christmas was never designed. It was never desired by God that it would be a once a year or one season a year event. It was God's plan all along that the reality of Christmas the consequences of Christmas would ring out in your life, in my life, every day, in every way. In everything that you do, the reality of Christmas can be brought to bear in every single day that you are alive. It's not just when we gather together for Christmas. It's not just when we start getting gifts and presents ready. And I like to do this almost every year that we gather, and I'm going to do it again this year. Let me see a show of hands. If you are through, done with all of your Christmas shopping, can I just see a show of hands? Look at that. that go ahead, hold your hands up high. That, that is impressive. Now, I need you to know, with your hands in the air, nobody likes you, but that's impressive. <laughs> How many of us... My hand is already up because I know the question. How many of us are maybe a little stressed about some Christmas shopping we have yet to do? Can I see a show of hands? Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. There's room for all in the family of faith. Change. Change is hard. Change is at the root of the reality of Christmas. And change really was there all along. As a matter of fact, as you read the Gospel of John, in the very opening chapter, opening verses of the first chapter, the Bible talks about this profound change that Jesus himself went to. If you've got your Bibles, look in John chapter one. In John chapter one, and by the way, I'm just gonna give you a little heads up. This is where we're going in January. As a church, we are kicking off a teaching series that will do a deep dive into the book of John that introduces who Jesus is. The title of the series is Intro to Jesus. And the exciting thing I think about this is that no matter where you are personally, there is something here for everyone as we take our next steps in our spiritual journey. As we pursue who Christ is. The book of John is an amazing, amazing resource for us to understand who he is, to learn about him and to know him more personally, more intimately, more profoundly. 
But in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible makes a profound, profound statement about the reality of Christmas. Look at what it says. In John chapter 1, verse 14. And again, I want you to read the highlighted words with me when they get there on the screen, okay? The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of Full of grace and truth. This may be the greatest mystery in the character and nature of Christ, that he was full, that he is full of grace and truth. Now, you'll remember the prayer of Christmas, the promise of Christmas, when the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people, and peace on earth. Peace on earth. I want us to, to just make sure that we understand what that means because it is so profound. When the Bible talks about the word peace, it is almost always used in a sense that transcends the absence of conflict. We, we think about peace and we think no war. We think about peace in the Middle East, peace in Ukraine, and these are certainly expressions of peace. But the biblical idea of peace transcends that. The biblical idea of peace means the ultimate in human thriving and flourishing. It's actually the old Hebrew idea of shalom. Say shalom. Shalom, shalom is this incredibly rich word from Hebrew that means the ultimate expression of human flourishing and thriving. That is what God means by peace. But when it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, grace, we, we know at least, you know, we, we've probably heard amazing grace. We know it's a good church word. But the word grace, it just means the undeserved, unearnable favor of God. The undeserved, unearnable favor of God. You can't earn grace. Grace is a gift that God offers in his son, Jesus. Now, truth, truth is a little bit trickier, particularly in the world that we live in. We, we live in a world that is not really fond of truth. We hear people all the time talk about their truth. I live my truth. You live your truth. And I think a good working biblical definition of truth is just this one word, reality. Truth is reality. It's what is real. Now, we all have our interpretations of truth, and that's very, very real, but there is, in fact, a very real, objective, definitive truth. And because God is the author of all reality, God determines what is true. I don't get to determine that. You don't get to determine that. God says this is true or not. And so peace and grace and truth we find in the person of Jesus. And it is only in Christ that grace and truth are perfectly synced, that they come together in moral perfection. Most of us kind of lean one way or the other. There's some of us who we're, we're kind of wired up. We're, we're grace people. We, we have that 
more natural bent or gift towards empathy or sympathy. You know, and that, that's a great thing. That's a great gift if you've got that. I, I would love to spend more time with you because there are others of us who are more like truth people. And truth, it's, it's just kind of right or wrong, good or evil, and, and we don't live in the gray a whole lot. And, and most of us tend one way or the other. And I want you to understand something. Neither one is bad. That's just, that's just kind of how we get wired up at the factory, okay? But Jesus, Jesus comes full of grace and full of truth. And at Christmas, this fullest expression of grace and truth became real. It, it, it became one of us. It, it became God with us. And he invites us into that. This is the reality of Christmas. I, I loved, so appreciate the Fortman family sharing their story with us. The, just the, the openness that they gave, the vulnerability to just say, this is our story. I so appreciate that. And I loved, I loved what Julia said. Remember the video? She said, you know, we came that Christmas and then we just kept coming back. We just kept coming back. We had a baby, so we took a break. But then we kept coming back and we would do the next right thing. Because Jesus became one of us, we, we come back to him. It's that invitation that God is giving us to come back to him, to, to, to be reconciled back into the relationship with him for which we were created. And as, as much as I appreciated the whole video, I really thought, you know, something that Greg said in that video really rang true with me, and I so appreciated the way that he said it. Just very matter of fact, he just said, you know, I'm a guy who feels kind of deeply. Right now, my family is laughing at me under their breath because I kind of have a reputation in my family of feeling things deeply. I cry on a regular basis. And I'll tell you why. Because real men cry. Tell your neighbor, real men cry. Now, I feel things so deeply. And when Greg said, you know, I wrestle with anxiety and stress, I understand that a lot more than I would care to admit to you. But it's true. But he said, when we come back, it's a reset. He was talking about when we, we gather week in and week out, and it's that weekly reset. And it, and it is that. But it's also when we come back to God and we reset our lives. It's, it's the reset where we come back to the grace and truth of God. We, we come back home just vulnerable, hiding nothing, holding nothing back because we're coming back to, to a father who loves us and has given us grace. You know, I think there's a great definition or distinction between a good dad and a bad dad. If you've got a bad dad, when you do something wrong, you run from him. But if you've got a good dad and something goes wrong, you run to that dad. You say, Dad, I need help. I need, I need some wisdom. I, I need, I need, I, I, I blew it. And the good dad 
says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Let, let's, let's figure this out. That's God. That's the invitation of God. To take the prayer of Christmas through the work of Christmas to become the reality of Christmas. Howard Thurman was a pastor, a theologian, a philosopher, and a scholar. He was born in 1899 in Florida. His grandmother was a slave in Florida. Thurman graduated valedictorian of his college class and went on to become a mentor and pastor to Martin Luther King Sr. and Jr. He wrote a verse called The Work of Christmas. It's not long, but this is what Thurman says about the work of Christmas. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home and when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. This is the work of Christmas, to make music in the heart. This is what Jesus came to offer. This is what Jesus did to offer. You see, the work of Christmas started in a crib, the manger, just a Manger just a feed trough in a borrowed barn. That's what the Son of God laid his head on the first moment he drew breath on this planet. It started in a crib. It went through a cross. And it culminates in the ultimate crescendo of history when he returns. The work of Christmas is not done. The work of Christmas is something that God invites you into as he's invited me into it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, not just to enter this world, but enter my life. Enter my, my friendships, my family, my marriage. Enter, enter my schoolwork. Enter my work work. Enter every part of my life. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Remember the shepherds? We started with them. They, they give us a great response for the reality of Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and again, I want you to read the highlighted words with me. The Bible says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They hurried off and found him. They, they didn't dilly-dally. They didn't sit there and talk to each other and go, well, wasn't that cool? 
That was neat. They hurried and found him. They did the work to encounter the Christ child. They didn't rely on rumor. They didn't let other people tell them a narrative that they liked and so they bought it. They went and investigated themselves. They went and found Jesus. They hurried and found him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you a very, very simple question. Have you investigated the reality of Christmas? I mean, really and truly. Not relying on rumor. Not making something up because it felt good in a moment to you, but truly investigating the reality of Christmas. If you're here this evening and you would like to step into that reality, step into the reality of a relationship with God, we'd love to give you that opportunity right now. To make the reality of Christmas real for yourself personally and definitively. If that's you, then you just pray right where you're sitting. Silently, just from your heart to God, silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I need your truth. Jesus, I want your peace. And so I come to you in this moment. I confess my sin, all of it. Holding nothing back so that I can receive all of your amazing grace. All of your truth. And I can build my life around both as I follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Because this is a sacred moment when God's moving in people's lives. If that was your prayer, then I want you to know that you just stepped into the reality of Christmas. Not just for a day, not just for a season, but a day-in, day-out relationship with Christ. And as a church, we want to help with what follows that decision. When we dismiss in a few minutes, we would love to give you just something we call a new believer's packet. It's a, it's a Bible. It's got a reading plan to help you get started reading the Word of God, getting to know God better, more personally, more intimately. And when we dismiss out in the lobby that is to your right from where you're sitting right now, there will be people there who would love to just put that in your hand if you just let them know. 
You just tell them. And as our heads are bowed for just another moment, I want to ask you, if that was your prayer and you prayed to commit your life to Christ, to step into the reality of Christmas, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a church, as a, as a family of faith, we honor that and celebrate it with you. And we've got a family tradition around here. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.